0: Welcome to today's episode of Getting to Know You. I'm your host, Cameron Edward Benton, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to today's guest, Chris Coulson. Chris is an online fitness coach, veteran of the US Navy, gamer, and all-around self-proclaimed nerd who has trained several celebrities and professional athletes. And one of the things that makes Chris quite unique is that he has both ADHD and autism, and he shares how this neurodivergent combination has been both a challenge and superpower for him. As I mentioned, Chris is an avid gamer like myself and we share over our mutual love for games and as someone with autism who can often experience the world's myriad and written rules as confusing, Chris shares how games have been a way for him to escape into a world where the rules are clear. We also dive deep into his personal experiences dealing with depression, which have provided an eye-opening look at how debilitating that experience can truly be and how it's quite different from how we often talk about it. We also give valuable advice on how to support friends and loved ones who may also suffer with clinical depression. And throughout our conversation, Chris provides a deeper understanding of the challenges and benefits that come with being neurodivergent, as well as the importance of support and understanding for those who may experience the world differently from you or I. So without further ado, let's dive into getting to know Chris Coulson. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. (laughs) My pleasure. My pleasure. So yeah, uh, we were just talking a minute ago, and uh, I was just saying that one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about you and kind of what drew me to you in the first place was you're this, um, yeah, you're a you know a successful online uh, fitness instructor, fitness coach, however you want to describe that. And one of the things that like really drew me to you was your kind of expression and love for video games, um, which is something that you don't really see. It's like, I feel like often in the entrepreneurial space, there's always this stuff of like, oh, like basically unless you're you know, breathing and living work and then only thing you're doing is like maybe drinking or partying on the weekends, you're kind of like low on life. And I I fell back in love with video games through COVID and it was really refreshing to see your take. And yeah, I was just wondering, I guess, could you, how, how and why have like video games been so important to you in your own life?
1: That is an excellent question, and it's not something that I think I explore very often because I just accept it as this is a thing that I enjoy, therefore I will do it. But as far as why it's important, I think it has a lot to do just like uh, being able to look back on on my life and and knowing uh, what I was going through and and why I always searched for video games. I I think that it has a lot to do with escapism and Mm. uh, as a vehicle for me to... Be able to express myself through um, areas that felt just very fun and free and safe without any um, restrictions or any kind of real world pressures or any mm-hmm. kind of shackles if you will of the uh, uh, the human brain and the and the reality that we live in <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah I, I totally get that. Yeah, I think that's been a, a big thing for me, even thinking over it over the last period of my life is like my, my parents like fought all the time. And when thinking about it, like video games are my way of like kind of zoning out of that that yeah. reality um, and being able to be in something else. One of the things you just mentioned was this ability to find like your own sort of creative self-expression in that space without any any shackles, I think you mentioned. like, Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like how did you find you were able to kind of express yourself in video games that you couldn't in the normal world?
1: Yeah, so... I, I, th- I guess playing video games was uh, probably the only time, other than reading a book or some other kind of vehicle for um, existing again in, in a place that, that I didn't actually exist in. Doing, doing that through video games was very, how do I don't answer this question? It was a way for me to feel what it was like to play in a world where I didn't feel like I had to act a specific way other than obviously through the controls of the, of the video game controller. But minus that it it was very freeing to be able to do and interact with worlds and characters or whatnot in, in this place that was less like a little playground um, that I can go in and basically do whatever I want. And, and that more than anything, that freedom was what allowed um, whatever kind of creativity I, you were able to use in, in a video game like that really fostered it there.
0: Yeah. So did you find that, um, was there sort mm-hmm. of like a want like a reverse benefit, like where kind of by finding this freedom within, um, within the video games, it like kind of let bled back into your normal life and reality as well, or was it kind of just like a pure escapism kind of component?
1: Uh, it was definitely a pure escapism. I don't feel like there was any kind of anything that I was able to pull from my experience playing video games that I was able to use in in the real world. And I think that has a lot to do with just um, looking back at it now, just like my just being autistic and not knowing what that uh, what that is or that I had it and just trying to exist. Uh, already in a place that I don't understand, which is like the real world and how that mm-hmm. it operates. So yeah. I never felt creatively free to, to be uh, to, uh, to exist and uh, kind of interact in the real world. So there was a place in, in, in that, in the digital world that I could do that. And, mm-hmm. and, and that was very much like a binary kind of relationship like that. Got it. So it was like very much like you had like the reality that
0: was, difficult and you had to play certain games or live by certain rules. And then you had this other reality where you could really kind of be who ever you wanted to be.
1: Yeah. And the rules were clear in video games because like, here are the Mm. things that you can do and this is how you can interact. And other than that, have fun. Whereas here it's much more ambiguous and that doesn't really work (laughs) for me. Yeah. Yeah 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 can you say say more about that like how
0: because i know you you just mentioned like your autism and, and dealing with that and i know that's something you came into awareness of later in your life um is that like the the desire for rules and that kind of main structure knowing clarity on kind of what the rules of the game are is that like a, a big component for you with regards to your autism and how that shows up for you
1: a desire for clarity is a big component of it right so not really understanding like social conventions and why they exist, because there's no book of rules on here's how this thing should work. It really kind of, uh, hampers my ability to both enjoy and, and exist in it in a way that's not me like checking back on the, uh, um, basically all right i've created these rules after existing in in society and how people have interacted. so i have to like constantly reference that and use that mm-hmm. to make sure that i'm doing the correct thing that humans do when they interact with each other mm-hmm. and that's kind of uh and it's very variable like in certain, certain situations you do this and other ones you do this and it's not it's not very it's not very clear whereas in video games uh, it's often very clear. It's like, here's how you do this thing. And then you go do the thing. And it's like, Oh, that's so, it's so refreshing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally relate to that. I think one of the things that was that yeah, that's always been a bit of a challenge for me as well in a different way where, um, like I grew up super uh, religious and Christian. So I had my rules, right? I had like the Bible letter <laughs> that was like, this is yeah. what you do. This is what you don't do. This is how you interact. And, um, and just like I'll give the example for dating, for example, like I grew up in like purity culture and so like in my church by the time I was a height in high school, the vast majority of the um High schoolers that i was with were basically like oh like we're not even going to kiss until we're married like it was like that level of like (laughs) we're not even going to do anything and the way that they saw that was like kind of this barrier it's like if we make it so that we won't even kiss then we'll definitely like not have sex was kind of the thought process although there was one couple at least that i know of that like literally just didn't kiss until then which was um still pretty wild to me so i went from that to ridiculous (laughs) yeah and then going to like you know kind of a more secular little bit more open like christian school and then getting into the secular world it was like when i came to dating i was just like completely no idea what was going on don't know what the rules are don't know any of that kind of stuff happens and it was uh mind-boggling to me and it can still be a challenge because it's like one social setting can feel this way one social setting can feel that way and i distinctly remember being um working in one restaurant environment where everybody was super flirty people would hook up a lot there was a lot of um partying and stuff afterwards, and then going to another restaurant and it was like, I was like kind of bringing in those same social structures and like flirting and that kind of thing. And it was immediately like, don't do this. This is not okay. And I was like, oh, okay, got it. Clearly I'm in a different world now. I don't understand. There was no instructions, but yeah. I don't know, trust that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I re- relate to that. Yep. I guess I'm curious with, with your, with kind of needing those rules and instructions, you... Uh, at least from my vantage point, I have a, a really solid group of, of friends and relationships and you you do go out. And I know that like going out, um, you've expressed is, can be really, really stressful for you. Um, still, have you found a way to honestly like create your own rules for social interactions that are like, regardless of kind of what the larger construct is, you have like your own set of guidelines that you're going to follow regardless?
1: Yeah, it's essentially something that I kind of came to Relatively recently, I know getting after getting out of the Navy and like entering society again as an adult, I kind of uh, had to explore a lot of the social interactions and and try to figure all that shit out. And eventually I remember like getting to a point where like, I'm just not going to figure any of this out and I'm just going to be who I am in the in these settings and it, it'll figure itself out. Uh, And that's basically how I've approached things since then. And it's just like, I'm just going to exist as I exist. And the rest of the people around me can figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm curious
0: with with that choice, um, because that's something that honestly, I, I still can struggle with, like just really being like, okay, cool. I'm going to be like myself and feel okay with that. Was that something that you honestly built like an inner level of like resilience and confidence over time? Or is that something like, as soon as you made that decision, you were like, okay, oh, cool, cool. It's easy to be Chris. And I'm just going to do that. And it was just kind of a binary decision.
1: Um, that's a good question. It, it's not something that's always very easy because in, cause it's not, cause I'm very aware of how, that's a good word for it. It can be very, I, I, I can feel like an asshole to a lot of people because of how direct just like being me is. And I'm very aware of that. And it's not something that I feel like I am, or it's not something that I feel <laughs> like I want to be known as. So it's something that I'm aware of. And it's something that I'm always trying to fine tune uh, a way to be me. And also to exist in um, just like a, a a social convention that that most people would uh, like kind of accept, be like, oh, that's that's relatively like normal yeah. and and how people exist in 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 this setting. Um, so I'm trying to like fine tune it and and figure out what what that means for me. But it's very easy for me to be me, um, and I've never had that's not true. So I'm, it's, I'm not, it's not that I've never had an issue with it. It's just like got to the point where I was so fed up with trying to be all these other things that I just stopped doing those things. And that was a really easy choice. Got it. And that was particular when you're coming out of the Navy. Yeah. Cause it was just like, I was, uh, the, the Navy while, while it was very hard for me in, in one sense, it was also very easy because there was such a, like a ton of structure around yeah. every interaction. But in like when I got out of the Navy and then I was like thrust into the, the throes of New York, that's totally different and wildly (laughs) chaotic. And that was just very hard to navigate. And yeah, I got to a point where I was just, I I got so overwhelmed and burnt out with trying to figure out all the intricacies of it that I just stopped. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Got it. And I can, I've never been to New York, but I can imagine. It's a lot. The chaos of that place compared to the Navy is quite quite the opposite. Um, no. Is there a reason that you moved to New York right after the Navy or are you from there? Or-
1: uh, yeah, there was basically the, uh, for when I got out of the Navy and was um, going to do, do the job that I was that I do now, there was basically an internship opportunity that happened to be in New York. I wasn't beholden mm-hmm. to any s- city specifically. So I was just like, yeah, I'll just go there. And, and that's where I, I did. <laughs> got it. Got it. Cool. So...
0: One thing I wanted to ask about, with regards to the, shoot, I'm blanking on my question. That's okay.
1: Oh, I'm actually wearing a video game shirt right now. <laughs> yeah, That's funny. Well, I feel
0: like you're wearing a video game shirt, like 50% kind of constantly, of the time Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get more shirts from you and find other things I can wear. You always have really cool. You you have cool video game clothing. It's not just like <laughs> uh, lame video
1: game clothing. You know, I'm not sure what that means but I, I, I wear I wear what I like to wear and I guess it happens to be visually pleasing which is good yeah yeah
0: yeah I think one of the one of the things I wanted to ask is a kind of a follow-up to sort of the general uh general idea of like figuring out right those those rules or like finding that balance is like do you have any like specific examples or things that you have um like identified or r- little rules that you found for yourself that allow you to be you but maybe not in the way like you said you're maybe perceived as being mean or whatever it might be
1: no but what it has allowed me to do is just kind of over time become more empathetic isn't, isn't correct but hmm. i'm able to view other people's experiences of what and how i am acting uh, hmm. a little bit clearer and and like specifically on how they're perceiving it and not necessarily how i feel like it, that i'm being Mm-hmm. So that's allowing me a little bit more awareness around that, but but I'm gonna be. Uh, but honestly, like I'm I, I'm very firm and like I'm just going to show up as how I'm going to show up, and and so like as much as I I am trying to fit the situation, I also like honestly, it's really hard for me to care for, for the most part. The biggest mm-hmm. thing for me uh, when I go out is that whatever reason that I'm going out, I'm going out to do that thing specifically. So whether it's mm. going to celebrate a friend's birthday or like whatever that specific event is, that's what I'm doing. Um, and mm. I do not care about anything else other than showing up specifically to do that one thing. Hmm.
0: Can you give an example of what that like might look like? Like, I guess maybe let's like, see if this works if I go around here on this. So it's almost like, from the opposite angle, like, like, would it look like somebody else would maybe show up to go to a friend's birthday to like network with somebody else? Is that kind of the dichotomy that you're Yeah, or doing? like go to
1: a birthday party and like go... Uh, Or like that that person would go to a birthday party and hang out with a bunch of other people and just like be kind of like a social butterfly around Mm -hmm. um, and enjoy the things leave early go do all all these things and like when I'm going to a person's birthday, I'm going to make sure that they're having the birthday that they want to have. Mm -hmm. And even if I don't enjoy the specific thing that I'm doing, that doesn't really concern me like I don't care Mm -hmm. about that I'm just going to make sure because what I value is my friend having a good birthday, and whatever, whatever that means. Huh. So I might not always have a good time doing the thing that I'm doing, but I will always have a good time celebrating the birthday.
0: That's awesome. I really like that. I think it's like almost like a cool objective because. Yeah, just I feel like it's like you're able to almost have this like clear, concise goal within a uh, a larger, crazy experience that allows you to just like pull through. And I found that even with something like uh, festivals, for example, that's something that allows me to have a really good time, uh, in a similar way, not necessarily be like, Oh, I'm going out here to celebrate this person or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Although it could be that, but a lot of times it's just having like some sort of clear intention that I want for myself or to experience in some way. And just kind of like anchoring into that and like letting that make all my decisions for me versus it being like, Oh, well, I don't know what to do. And now there's like 50 things. I go to this concert, I could hang out with this person or whatever it is. And just following that sort of intention allows it to be easier and I'm able to kind of get lost more in the moments and, and actually have a good time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really about like, uh, the word that you used was having that anger. And, um, that is something that I'm really good at figuring out for me. Um, and not yeah. really like to the, to the exclusivity of anything else that's happening around me. Like I just, uh, I just don't care about it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And honestly, like one of the one of the things I want to mention like, about your directness is I, I always find that that's actually one of the things that I think it drew me to you. And I think drew a lot of people to you because it is sort of, you know, in our world, it's, a lot of people tend to be a lot more careful i would say with their words are are less direct right and there can be a lot of confusion and that kind of thing whereas like with chris it's like oh like i know who chris is and i know what he stands on and i know what he believes and he thinks but there's also this level of like your ability to tell someone that they're doing something stupid or you think something's dumb without like at least from my end like it will affect me but doesn't like hurt my feelings like I, i'm like oh chris doesn't think i'm like a bad person but you will be like no that thing is stupid or this person is dumb or whatever it might be
1: yeah yeah i yeah. do that I, I do that a lot and i and i i often ask my friends but like what is their experience of me in in, mm-hmm. in those situations because like i just have no idea right because i i just know mm-hmm. how i'm being and i know how it can yeah. be perceived by some people but it's very much like like you said it's very much you're direct but not in a mean way right so it's like i'm not Mm -hmm. making fun of or telling somebody that they as a human being are a piece of shit It's like but the thing that you're doing is really fucking dumb (laughs) and and i'm i explain it in a way or i say it in a way that's very like here's what you're doing and like why are you doing this thing this way like what if you did this thing this way instead Hmm. so you stopped doing the thing that you don't want to be doing anymore right and like that's And I, but again, I say it very directly and I ask I, super direct and, <laughs> and sometimes cutting questions to get, to get it out of people, but it works. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, no, I think it's, it's been awesome. I mean, I, I have you right now as my fitness coach and it's been one of the things that I really enjoy about you is like, if I'm spiraling off in my head about something where I think like a lot of people or coaches might be like, oh, well, like, and ask some question like to get me to evoke some idea or, you know, whatever you're like that idea is dumb. Like, stop, stop, stop talking to yourself like that or stop thinking this way or whatever it might be. And it's like, oh, okay. And my brain kind of just is like stops and you're like, oh yeah, right. And then it like shifts and it's it's a lot easier than, I don't know, having to do a bunch of guesswork or figure out what I'm supposed to maybe be cleaning for moments moment or whatnot.
1: Yeah, well, you, you uh, in that situation, you don't know what you don't know. And like when you're very much in whatever thing that you're in and it always it always seems like a lot and it always seems hard and it always seems like it's impossible to do a thing. But often there's a really, really simple solution to anything that you're going through. And that goes for basically everybody in the world. It doesn't mean you can see it and that doesn't mean that it's easy, but it, it genuinely, it generally is usually very simple. And it's something that I have uh, seemingly a unique ability to p- both point out and show people what that other option or solution to that thing is. Got it. Cool. Love it. I guess what it's mean? a good
0: segue. Of kind of- <laughs> yeah, you're welcome segue like of like how did you how did you end up um, as a fitness coach and uh, before I get to like you answer that question directly like part of what I'm curious about is you there's almost to me like an interesting irony in the fact that randomness and chaos is challenging for you and yet sort of the path that you chose is like I'm going to become a business owner and have this online coaching industry which at least from the outside it seems like you know owning a business or being an entrepreneur or that kind of thing is a lot more chaos than like going and getting a job where you have instructions and structure and somebody else is kind of creating that for you and instead you're ha- having to create that for yourself. So what what led you to that have you now have you navigated that?
1: There is an interesting um, dichotomy with having both ADHD and autism in that they're very polar opposites in a lot of ways. Um, for with ADHD, chaos is very, uh, enjoyable. It's like, it's amazing. It's like, it's kind of what you cra- crave, you, uh, constant novelty and variety with autism. That's, uh, basically your hell. So I'm always kind of like in this place where I, I'm very much pulling at, uh, two parts of me, uh, and they're very much in, uh, in contention a lot, you know, owning a business is, is like that. So there are very, there's a lot of things that I'm very good at. And there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm very, very bad at with uh, as far as being a business owner. But as far as coming to the, the job that I'm doing now, one thing that I found is that I'm not very good at listening to other people um, explain how they want me to do things, especially if there's better ways to do it. And I know that there's a better way to do it. Then I'm not going to do it that way. <laughs> I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. Uh, that doesn't work for people if they're your boss. So I came to quickly find out that I don't work well if I am boss. And so I didn't really have a, <laughs> too many options as far as that. I'm a really good coach and I'm not a really good employee. Got it. And how did you,
0: so if I understand your story correctly, you were, um, you were graduating high school, then went straight into the Navy. And then from there you went to the internship with, uh, in New York.
1: Yeah, kind of. So I was in high school. Um, I had good grades, it was like I, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next and I had no idea what I wanted to do for college. Uh, so I did like a year of community college and I was like, this is a waste of my fucking time because I still have no idea what I want to do. So I basically sat there one day and I was like, what's the most opposite thing I could be doing right now? Uh, and that was joining the, joining the military. And so I picked the one that I probably wasn't going to get shot at or um, get stuck in the middle of the country somewhere on, on, on an Air Force Base and, and that was the Navy. I stayed there for 10 years, um, four of which was, was fine. The other six was not. And, and then while I was in the Navy, I just kind of got introduced in, and sort of fell in love with fitness. And I found I was really, really good at helping other people achieve their kind of fitness things that they wanted to do and kind of guide them through that and support them. And so that's what I wanted to do. And uh, I was lucky enough to be able to have a good relationship with the people that I used as coaches and that afforded me the inter- internship opportunity out of the Navy and kind of just hopped on that and uh, kind of everything kind of fell into place a little bit. as far as the next six, seven years, I've no how long have I been out of the Navy now? <sighs> <laughs> eight years almost yeah eight years so almost you
0: still so you still spent more time in the navy as an adult at this point than you have outside of the navy
1: yeah
0: wow so what was that like i mean i've never been in any sort of military service before and i didn't realize you were there for 10 years from my from my head it was like four years or something like that tops i didn't realize it was a, a decade which is a long long ass time um fun, what okay? was that what was that like for you
1: Uh, I don't really know how to answer that question because it was a lot of things. Hmm. Um, But most of it was uh, it was very simple, but it was really fucking stupid a lot of times. Hmm. And often the thing that I remember the most about being in the Navy is how many arguments I got in with people that were above me on the chain of command Hmm. and how right I was in all of those arguments. And that's basically (laughs) what, what I remember the most. Mm-hmm. because they would get mad at me but they couldn't do anything to me about it because i was always correct mm-hmm. and yeah so there was, there was a lot of contention and, and conflict when i was uh especially as i got promoted because then there was even less that they could do to me and more that i could say and i was not very good at um holding my tongue <laughs> <laughs> <Sounds like laughs> and okay. so often i would say th- I would say things in the, in the most, uh, inopportune for them time to say those things. Yeah. And luckily it didn't get me in any any actual trouble, just some getting yelled at sometimes, but that was basically the entirety of my experience was, uh, not wanting to be there for uh, often like periods of time, knowing that I was correct and everybody around me was mostly stupid and just having to live with the fact that, uh, (laughs) that's just (laughs) how I had to had to be. Yeah, so like I don't remember. It's not that I don't remember. I I, I refuse to <laughs> let go of a lot of the times that were hard in the Navy because I find that people that get out of the military have a very rosy and paint a very, very rosy picture of what it was and what it could be. And I mm. wanted to make sure that I never did that. There were some like very good and and fun times, mm-hmm. but often it's a place looked full of fucking idiots, and you just had to live yeah. it live in it and especially like in the navy you're like confined to a ship and out at sea for months at a time and just living with a lot of idiots
0: <laughs> was that uh i would say like the the main hard thing was just kind of being surrounded for uh, your words by a bunch of idiots or, or were there like specific things that like are there was like a lot
1: like of moments hard things there's a, yeah, they, it, it's really hard to explain that the, being in the military is a very unique experience in that um, you're asked to do a lot of things kind of all the time. But there's also a lot of times when you're just doing absolutely nothing, but you still like just mm. have to be there. Um, and it's really I can't really describe what it's like um, because it's such a singular, like unique experience. But the hardest thing to do was one, just like be in the military and then just be confined to a ship for <clears throat> months at a time in like a rack that's no bigger than like a single size bed um, with like, like this much overhead between that my bed and, and the, the bunk above me and just like sleeping in rooms with like 50 to 200 other people and just like living <clears throat> li- and living like that for months at a time
0: yeah that sounds quite uh the not fun summer camp i guess
1: no but That's, like the uh human brain is interesting in that it's easy it can adapt to anything even if it's the worst so yeah. like it's it's easily adaptable like i it was wasn't so bad that i couldn't stay in it for 10 years right so it's it's very yeah. interesting
0: yeah yeah no that is super interesting and you you kind of touched on this a little bit but um you mentioned there was a there was also you know obviously some some really good things that came out of it what what were some of the the no, lessons that you learned or I know things that being in the navy taught you that you, you know are still a part of your life today or that kind of thing.
1: The the thing that the navy taught me most was how not to treat people <laughs> because <laughs> it, it gave me a very clear uh like viewership on how like people abuse power and mm. and and what that looks like. Um, So that's what the Navy taught me the most was, was really how not to treat people and um, how not to be a leader. Mm -hmm. As far as like the, the fun times, there's just like, again, it's, uh, there's a lot of unique experiences. So you get very, very close with the people that you're kind of working with because they're like the only Mm -hmm. people you see for years. Yeah. And you're, you basically, I mean, you basically live with these people for, for years as well. So like um, there's a lot of, uh, there's nothing like shared suffering to really bring people together and um mm-hmm. uh so just like the the intimacy that is there is unique and the the closeness that you can get with some people is unique but also the navy creates a lot of barriers to that too so it's it's just a very interesting way to live so like i i don't have a ton of really really close friends from the navy hmm. but there's like four or five that are that are and like we'll probably forever forever be yeah yeah but yeah such a weird experience
0: <laughs> yeah cool thanks for sharing um and so from there after the military at some point so when did you start getting into the fitness world is that way like halfway through your your experience there is it like near the end is you're kind of getting ready to leave or
1: so probably around the the second or third year that i was in the Navy is when i really started to get into it because i had an idea that i wanted to train for what was it uh, eod which is explosive ordnance disposal and it sounded like a really cool job i wanted to mess with the wires and i was doing that until i basically i tore my meniscus and acl ah. and trying to like recover from that and just like relatively not good support systems that the military has for injuries like that. Uh, and just kind of like dealing with that is really what, what drove me to learn about fitness and how to figure out mm-hmm. my own recovery and, and make sure that was good. Got it. So then there you started like building up your own kind of like fitness knowledge and your awareness of the body yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then, so then. Cause somebody had there. to, and it wasn't going to be the people taking care of me.
0: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And then, so from there, you you get this internship, and you go to New York, and then yeah, and then what? So then you study you study under them, and then kind of at some point, you just decide to launch your own thing.
1: Um, yeah, it was very much the the point of the internship was to learn the kind of online business side of of fitness, um, and just gain more knowledge as far as like how that is supposed to operate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I learned that a little bit, then got a job at an actual like brick and mortar gym in New York to just like get more experience, just like actually training real, real people. I did that for a couple of years. And then while I was doing that, that's when I started to, um, do my own, like kind of launch my own program, but like very loosely because I was, uh, I was making just enough money, like training people in person to where I didn't have to try very hard to make money online. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, and at that time I was in like a, um, like a fitness mastermind thing with, my best friend, John Romanello, who who ran it at the time. And um, yeah, I was really good at not paying attention to a lot of the speakers. <laughs> that's what, that's really what I remember most about that until COVID hit, hit. And then I was like, oh, I guess I have to learn how to do this shit online like really quickly. Mm. Um, and that's yeah. when I kind of fully dove in on the online business side of things. So that's only been like, I guess, like three years now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like COVID, there's always it feels like
0: there's this black hole in my like timeline where it's like, oh yeah, like I moved out to Seattle and then like nothing happened. <laughs> and then all of a sudden life started happening again, but there was like 3 years that went by during that time simultaneously.
1: Yeah, but that was like, yeah, it's interesting. COVID uh people's COVID experience are interesting to me because it's not unlike my experience in the Navy. So I was like it mm. was not that much different. <laughs> yeah. confined to a place and I don't do things all day so that's yeah that's the exact same yeah and you don't you're not
0: stuck in a, a tiny single bed with a, an inch yeah space it was, in if anything bed. it was better <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. you're like oh i'm done for this i got this yeah this
1: is really easy guys i don't know what you're talking about this is just, yeah
0: yeah i was i was doing very well with covid and being in lockdown for the most part for the first like year like in a couple months um, yeah. mostly because I hadn't pl- really played video games for like a really long time. So you got and then, to do that. Yeah, and then I, I literally ended up buying like a PlayStation 4 because I saw Final Fantasy VII Remake was coming out and it was like right before COVID was happening and it was just kind of perfect. I played a ridiculous amount of video games uh, in that year. Um, you yeah. know, yeah. Are there any, I guess, particular kinds of games that you, you really like and enjoy?
1: I really like RPGs, like almost... Specifically, so anything that I get to build a character, immerse myself into a world and explore that is uh, usually right up my alley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. If, if I have a party, cool. If, if it's a single person RPG, cool. Mm-hmm. But any kind of role playing game in which you level up and gain experience and mm-hmm. devote that to points and build the person the kind of the way that you want to is it's always up my alley.
0: Yeah. Cool, cool. And the very much the same way. I think we first connected when we were both playing Elden Ring um when that yeah. guy came out. And that was yeah, some some great times.
1: What a fun, unique, unique experience that Elden Ring was.
0: Yeah, man. I mean it's it's still there I rarely get done with a game and I'm like, oh, I really want to like replay that. Like I wanna go in and like with a different type of character build and yeah. like, explore what this different experiences like um because i don't know for what you chose but i was a, like a mage or an astrologer So like all my spells i'd like you only have like 15 spells in the game or like five that are actually useful mm-hmm. and so it's like you're kind of doing a lot of the same stuff and i'm like oh there's these like black you know blood blades and these other guys who are dancing around or these huge builds or these guys who bounce like this magic and whatever kind of stuff and um yeah it's a just a fascinating ride yeah
1: yeah 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 well, uh, you, well, well I did a little bit of a mix. So I was like a faith uh, and strength build. So I was uh, using a, a large two handed weapon um, and using uh, faith spells. Um, so like oh. uh, I, I'm really into lightning spells, and those are all faith spells. So like I uh, okay. used that a lot. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, there's even like a couple of posts I think that
0: you did that I say like made me enjoy my own Elden Ring experience more. I think it was like something you made some like uh, comments kind of dishing on people who are all obsessed with like maxing out their stats or having a like perfect build or that kind of thing. And you were like, everybody's worried about this. I'm just going to be like a, a moonlight warrior or something of that nature. Um, and just like enjoy like my story. And I was like, yeah, that's like how you should be playing game, like just to come here and like enjoy it. And I think so often, I don't know the way, I don't know if it's the way I was raised or whatever, but I can end up getting like so focused on, uh, having the perfect thing or doing it right or whatever it might be and uh forget to enjoy it and i think that's such a beautiful part about games um you kind of touched on earlier but just being able to get to that place where you can just do something for
1: for fun and have it be that yeah fun and around. i think it's really easy to lose sight of why you're playing video games and for the enjoyment of mm-hmm. it because it becomes like a task right especially when mm-hmm. your time becomes more constrained And it's like well i only have this amount of time to do this thing so I want to be as efficient with it as possible. and like understanding like that's not the point, right? Like that's, that's what you have to really, that's what I think a lot of people have to stop doing with video games is really looking to expedite the experience. Cause like, why the fuck are you playing then? <laughs> like, just <Yeah>. Relax, <laughs> just relax. There's, there's, there's no real time limit. You don't have to play hundreds of games a year and like, just, just mm-hmm. play like four games a year. Like what, what does it matter? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. yeah, that's yeah. It's something that like I also lost sight of too because I wanted to consume video games as like an escape mm-hmm. when I was going through a lot of depression. Mm. And it's hard to break that habit again now that I remembered, you know, kind of like why I was doing this thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel yeah, Like I, that's something I can deal with too where there's a part, especially as I feel like now because there are so, well, there's a balance. On one hand, I feel like there's so many games that come out uh, and back when i was mostly playing video games like a long game was 40 hours and then you have these long games that come out now and you're talking about elden ring and some like persona 5 right you're talking about like 160 hours 200 hours to to really complete the thing it's just like it's insane and there's a zillion more games too and options that you have so i kind of did the same thing when i started getting back into games it was like i had this list of like oh here's all the games i want to beat and it would give me anxiety because I would start playing a game and be halfway through it and be like, when am I ever going to beat this game? How am I going to get to the other ones and, and yeah. stop enjoying the one that you're actually with in the moment.
1: Yeah. That's, and that's interesting. Well, the first thing that was interesting that you said that is like the when long games were 40 hours. What games are you playing? Because like Final Fantasy 7 VII and 8 and 6 were like 100 hour games. So I'm not sure were what they? games you're playing. Fantasy but I Final Fantasy 7 is
0: like, it's like 40 Clearly they're the control. wrong ones.
1: Yeah, yeah, if you don't go do all the things, it can be 40 hours. But like, what's the point? Like, go do all the things, get all the summons, go I don't get know, all the material. In
0: my mind, Final Fantasy 7 with all the side quests is
1: like 40 hours. But maybe it's maybe not. I think, wrong it's even, cl- it's, wrong. I think it's closer to 60 hours. And I think that's if you're like not actually reading any of the text, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah my experience was different with those games but especially like is final fantasy 8, i probably spent 40 hours in the card game triple triad mm. well that and, one for sure that one has like just a ridiculous amount of side quests Yeah, and, and then that final that fantasy 10 i spent like at least 30 to 40 hours on blitz ball like i i mm-hmm. find i get a lot more enjoyment out of the mini games <laughs>
0: mm-hmm
1: than then the actual game like and the witcher like i played so much fucking gwent like i yeah only cared about the like getting gwent cards in <laughs> in the witcher <laughs> and more so than anything than any of the actual hunting monsters yeah. like that was fine i just want to be good at gwent and that,
0: and that was fun yeah. have you have you played any of the because they created an actual spinoff gwent game have you played any of i that didn't
1: because i think it was a mobile game and i think it was um like you can pay for cards and like any Mm. games like that are really bad for me because of like I have a very addictive personality so like it's really easy for me to blow thousands of dollars to get the cards that I want um so I have to be very careful with the games that I play (laughs) so no no pay to win entries for you no because I've gotten in trouble with those before
0: (laughs) yeah that would not be fun what was I thinking there's something about Gwent I think forgot (laughs) let's see oh well let's um let's talk about like hating things so one of the things that has been kind of like a signature for you at least that i've noticed is how much you enjoy it seems like and how kind of funny and entertaining you are with hating things um can you talk a little bit about that
1: See, like I would love to talk about it, but I don't know because I'm just experiencing the thing and letting my thoughts (laughs) out on the thing and not understanding why people like this thing that is objectively terrible. And that's (laughs) like that for me, that's the extent of it. And and clearly people really enjoy (laughs) my experience of that. But I don't know that I that there's anything (laughs) That I'm like, I'm not trying to specifically do something when I do it. Like, I'm just kind Mm -hmm. of watching the thing, like experiencing it and just not comprehending what anybody is getting out of that. And then, uh, so that's, uh, it's enjoyable for me to analyze and express my thoughts on things, but it's not like that Mm. I'm, I, I don't enjoy, uh, hating some things some things are just really really fun to hate like um hmm. it's really fun to hate the rival in the f- for your sports team like it's really really hmm. enjoyable to do that it's fun to expend energy um just fucking hating things all right but not in hating things <laughs> into where it's like it's a all-consuming way it's just like uh, i'm just um, expressing this thing and like getting this thing out in a very fun and spiteful way it's very it's very unique mm-hmm. it's very unique kind of of uh, fun hate and not like a driving vindictive consuming hate right so yeah yeah but vampire diaries fucking sucks and i don't know why people ever watch it
0: <laughs> uh, i haven't seen it myself yet so i will take your word um and if anything you have definitely uh made it a lot less likely that I will ever watch that show. Yeah. don't. Yeah. Do you have any, um, you mentioned obviously other sports teams or, um, are you, are you in any particular sports or do you have teams that you have a rival that you do hate or that kind of thing?
1: Uh, yeah. So I'm a very big football fan. I, so I'm a 49ers San Francisco 49ers fan cause I was um, born in the North Bay. Uh, mm-hmm. and so we, we as a, the collective 49ers fans, uh, objectively hate the Cowboys and the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am in Seattle now, so they
0: become one of my like pseudo teams that I have. I mean, I've, I grew up in LA before the Rams were there or, and after the Rams were there, I guess. Um, so I didn't really grow up with a they're team. They're not
1: so in LA. The only actual <laughs> LA football team are the Raiders. They were the only one. And then there's a lot of bullshit that, that happens there. But yeah. But no, nobody in LA is a fucking Rams fan anyways. Like they're LA are like the worst football fans
0: there there's a lot of random the fans, at least from where there's I'm not at, i don't there is not. i have no <laughs> there, there's not i have no direct care about it i'm I'm a Lakers fan they're the, they're one sports team that i i care about at all any are there any other particular things that you have loved to or currently like love to hate on besides other sports teams and uh vampire Diaries
1: It's very much an in the moment thing that i know mm-hmm. i'm not like seeking out like i like like i love to do this thing but i'm very in the moment I'm going to hate this thing and and really enjoy my, uh, because I could choose to like be upset about it or I could choose to just fucking make fun of it and and shit on it. And I'd much rather do that. So Mm -hmm. I'm still enjoying the experience. Um, but the experience sucks. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's how I look at it. Yeah.
0: I have this like desire now to have like a, a show where, I say, like people, you have friends or something who just like know what you would absolutely hate, and just like have a a, a podcast or a YouTube show where it's just like you just hating on things, um, in in video form in real time. I just think that would be pretty a pretty entertaining show.
1: Yeah, that would, I would be for that. Um, I just don't <laughs> want to have to do any of the pre, like, I'm not like, it's not interesting for me to do like, let's find stuff that we're, no, we're going to hate. I just sh- that show up and like almost have me not know the thing that's going to happen and then just like watch it in real time and, and, and shit on it. Yeah. Yeah. Amber and my wife and, and John, my friend have often said, be great if we just had a camera on you, a lot of the time. Like ninety percent of that would be boring, but ten of ten percent mm-hmm. of that would be really, really hilarious.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean that that would be kind of my idea. It's like if you had John and Amber and whoever else just be like go through their their movie catalog and just be like, oh, he's gonna hate this one so much. Or just-, just like
1: an experience. Like let's go to a club. Yeah. Let, and let's let's <laughs> let's let's find like no, no, this is terrible. Why are we here? So funny
0: awesome cool uh i one thing I, I love to chat about is um kind of going back to a lot of the nerd stuff is you are a big dungeons and dragons fan how did you first get involved with dungeons and dragons
1: well i've read the books for quite a long time one of the first like fantasy series of books that i remember hmm. reading and starting and also currently read is um the Dragonlance uh series um and uh, yeah, so like just that kind of gave me the the picture of uh, what it would be like to exist in a world full of dragons. And ever since that, I've always been interested in Dungeons and Dragons, but I've never really had the opportunity to play it. Until recently, like COVID really kind of um, ramped up things and for a lot of people too, uh, and enabled the enabled me to play Dungeons and Dragons online and and start to do that and i fucking love it um it's a lot of fun to build your character and kind of exist in that theater of the mind with it yeah it's 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 really fun have you ever played
0: i have
1: um but only so
0: i have very limited experience um i actually played with somebody who is on critical role um Mm -hmm. if you're familiar with them yeah um yeah, so she—I don't know if she's still on there, or used to, and she's actually written like a a um a book for Dungeons and Dragons. And I don't know if it's a short story or a story or whatever, but she's done like a full published book with them. But we—I met her in L.A. when we were both uh, actors, and yeah, and so I started talking to them as like, oh, this is something I've always wanted to do. So I got to play like a little story with her and somebody else who's like a really good um, DM, right? Is that the right term, yeah. Dungeon Master? Yeah, and I, I had a blast because I was like, oh, I want to make my character like somebody who does like a bunch of drugs. And they're like, okay, well, he, there are these things that are kind of like mushrooms. These things are kind of like um, MDMA. Uh, I was like, all right, cool. Like, I'll have my my character did them. And I ended up taking them after like mushrooms, I think, after a fight. And there was like a roll of like 100. And I landed on this thing where it was like some like magical unicorn appears out of nowhere. And it like, <laughs> takes me up and I got like a huge like view. There he goes. Of his, uh, the land uh ahead of me so i i was aware of it but obviously nobody else was uh what yeah. we were kind of running into and it, but i also didn't get like a I forget what it's called but where you you go to sleep and your your skill points like uh replenish or that kind of thing yeah yeah and but it was a it was a blast and then i i also did the the star wars one where it's like you roll that one was i actually really really liked that one have you played? that one you know what I'm talking about so no, I think it's no, called no, the yeah there's
1: there's a lot of iterations of the of the mechanics and a lot of different um fantasy lands um so mm-hmm. yeah, I can I can imagine
0: yeah well so, that one so that one what they did what was interesting I thought was beyond simply like rolling the dice and being like, oh, like you hit this amount of points and like hurt this character, just roll for this thing. There was two different style of dice that we rolled. So one that was like, this thing ended up as a success. And then the other thing that was like, it had a positive or negative effect. Um, So you could, for example, like roll that you like missed your shot, but the other hand, it like had this positive effect. So maybe it like ricocheted and hit like their lightsaber out of their hand on accident while you were you know, falling or whatever. Like it's a chance. Like some really, yeah, it created some like really interesting uh, storytelling components that were really fun to play. And I, that one was actually I had to do on a podcast, a couple of podcast episodes up. So that was that was really fun.
1: Yeah, it's cool when they introduce mechanics that enable storytelling, because um, otherwise, mm-hmm. like you could do that exact same thing with Dungeons and Dragons. But like you have to just tell that thing that happened. You know, and often like the way that they would do that in d d is like the, the DM would have control. Like, he, like he's ro- rolling behind his like little fucking fortress that he that he sets himself up behind. So you can't <laughs> see any of the rolls. Right. Um, and like that, like that's how that would happen in that game. So it, it, it's cool that there's a little bit more player agency for that kind of story. And in, in the Star Wars one, mm-hmm. that's
0: fun. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. It's a fun game. I guess with with the of Dungeons and Dragons for somebody who who wants to get into it um, at this point in whatever life they're in, I guess like do you have any tips or recommendations for I don't know, say like finding a group or finding people, whether it's in person or online, and being able to start playing? Because I know for myself, it's something I've always been like, oh, that's something I really want to do. But unless it's definitely something you have to have other people for, right? It's not like a video game that I can just pick up and just do whatever the fuck I want, um, or even an online game where I can go find. People just instantaneously, like, how do you end up like finding that kind of community, build that kind of community, and actually like build a, an ongoing game?
1: I got really lucky. Like, some of my friends like happened to be like D, uh, DMs, so it's easy to insert myself and in, into that when you already have like a DMs that you know. Um, from what I've seen, there are a lot of good Facebook groups that kind of enable that type of. Uh, meet especially for people online and then just go to your local like game store. That is still a really good place to both meet people that share that kind of passion and find groups. It's, it's it's a really good places to do that. Cool. Any, any tips for like a beginning player? Uh, yeah, just enjoy it. There's no, you can't do anything wrong. Just have mm-hmm. fun with it and don't, don't worry about the rules too much. Like people will explain mm-hmm. it to you, just like interact with the world and, you'll figure it out cool it's awesome. really easy to just like like look at a rule book and like this is too much but just like it, it'll assuming you have a good dm it just won't matter just like mm-hmm. create a fucking have an idea of what you like what kind of thing you want to be and people will help you be that thing and interact in the way that um enables you to do that it. Hmm. Uh, cool yeah, and then I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you about is you have a
0: new podcast that is probably be out by the time this episode comes out uh, called My Comical Bromance, co-hosting with Don Romanello. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. What has that uh, experience been like for
1: you? Uh, yeah, th- that experience has been pretty fun. Uh, honestly, I, I was very nervous, like just starting it because I just one thing that I haven't done a good job of in my past has been, uh, talking <laughs> just in general. I like, I tend to be very direct and I am very quiet. Cause I, I am very much a person who I will talk when I have something to say, not just talk to talk. Right. So um, the podcast has been a unique experience in that, um, obviously I'm, I'm there because I want to talk. And the thing that I've been most nervous about doing that is like having John is somebody who talks a lot because he enjoys talking um, and and not (laughs) like in a bad way. He just likes, he likes, he likes to talk about things. Yeah. And so my worry was just him kind of having the burden of carrying a lot of the episodes. And so far that hasn't been true. Um, and that's Mm -hmm. been really nice. Nice. Cool. Is there anything that you
0: have, um, I say, learn about yourself from the podcast, either from doing it or just from
1: your your other guests and things we talked about. That is a good question. Um, I I guess I've learned more that, that I've learned that I have more that I can say if I want to. Hmm. Yeah, and I've I've learned that. Yeah, if I need to do a better job of pointing it out, but I do have a lot of things um, to say. Uh, that seem, mm. <laughs> seem to be worthwhile to, to hear. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've definitely enjoyed, uh, this conversation
0: so far and, you know, listen to your different views and opinions. So yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, definitely glad to hear I appreciate that. that. I have a lot of them. They're just like randomly, they're not, um, the ADHD <laughs> doesn't organize them very well. So when and where they come out and it's just like, it's, it's hard to predict.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask about that. Um, do you feel like, cause you, The words that you use, if I remember correctly, were that you realized you have a lot more to say if you actually want to say them. Yes. Can you talk a
1: little bit more about that? So I guess I uh, maybe reframe the question in a way that, uh, because I I don't know how to answer that other than to say that exact same thing back to you, right? (laughs) Sure. Yes, I will. If I want to say something, then I will say it. Otherwise, I just won't.
0: Sure. So I guess the the better way to ask that question would be something to the extent of like, what you said that you were like, you actually have a lot more to say than kind of maybe you originally thought or felt like you did. And that you have a lot more to say and have things that people care to hear about um, Mm -hmm. that you kind of want to be expressing that you realize you can talk about these things if you if you want to. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my question to that is, is there something, I don't know, that was happening before or or a belief that you had maybe that like, you know, that shifted for you or that your voice didn't matter or that you were upset people or maybe something of that nature?
1: Yeah, I guess. uh, So yeah, that, that, that's a really good question. And um, from what I've kind of gathered, just like piecing my past together, just my experience as being somebody with autism and just kind of existing and saying things that aren't quite always um, maybe the right thing to say or the right time to say them, uh, and just kind of like dealing with a lot of little instances of those, just like really built up over an entire childhood and and past um, has really in the past had had really shut me down and kind of like off in terms of the, how I communicate because often the way that I communicated was you know wrong for whatever situation I was in. So I just wouldn't, if I didn't have something specific to say about a thing, then I just wouldn't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. And like really over the past couple of years and and now kind of with the podcast, I have slowly been um shedding that. Uh so from what I just heard, it's like you
0: kind of grew up in you know, the environment that you're in and basically speaking um, sharing what your thoughts or opinions or whatever it might be caused problems, which you kind of like hinted at with the the Navy experience, right? Where it's like you, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people off and maybe didn't make things super easy for you. And um, I mean, honestly, I know, um, I used to work for a neuroscience company and I remember our head neuroscientist talking about that. That was a pretty challenging situation, not just for you know people who maybe start with autism, but for just intelligent kids um, growing up because they can often feel very out of place because they are smarter than the adults around them or than other people around them at a very young age. And yet they don't have sort of the authority to be for it to be okay for them to be smart, if you will. Yeah. And yeah, it sounds like you, you probably dealt with uh, a lot of that as well. It sounds like at least within the Navy and probably in, in other aspects of your life as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, Yeah. And it's often, yeah, that's just often the case. And then uh, and a lot of times what I had to say, uh, people often didn't want to hear. Mm. At, again, at, at the time, timing is a real big thing with, with autism. Um, it's just like because there's no, there's like a convention or a like unwritten rule around a lot of things that I'm just completely unaware of. And so I just don't do the things and I do exactly what is just in my brain and it immediately comes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you, um, for that
0: kind of thing now, do you, do you have like kind of like a check-in system? Like if there's something that you want to say, no, I like, just man, say it, you just, say it. Yeah. <laughs> you just go through that.
1: Got it. Yeah. Like, um, cause I, like what I've learned is like people's reaction to the thing that I have to say is not really my problem. Hmm. Um, as long as I'm not being a dick, like it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Like people are going to have a, any kind of reaction one way or another, and there's no way I can control that. So
0: I just, yeah. So that's,
1: I guess, an interesting question. You made me think of right there is like, how
0: do you, um, especially kind of with yourself, like saying like, hey, it's difficult for me to, I say, like, see myself or see how my actions are affecting people. How do you decipher when you're being and actually being a dick versus when you're just, you know, expressing yourself and it's kind of perceived that way, if you will.
1: Uh, I mean, it's really easy to analyze the thing that I said to the person and like know what was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Or maybe it was like, that's, they just didn't want to hear that. And like, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. So it just, I mean, it's, I have a very clear, like uh, right and wrong compass. So it's very easy for me to know as long as I'm staying true to what I believe in. And then like, I'm not always super concerned if somebody just doesn't want to hear something. Mm-hmm. But I will, uh, if I do, if I say something that I was like that, I shouldn't have said that, then I will absolutely go like, apologize. But like it happens, like everybody, does, everybody does, right? Uh, yeah. I just have more and more instances of saying something that people don't want to hear more, more so than me saying something I shouldn't have said. Yeah. Got it. With regards to that, that moral compass that you have,
0: and I'm guessing on some level it developed, because um, you weren't raised like religious or anything of that
1: nature, right? no. No, not at all. There was, um, there was no outside influence structure as in how I was raised other than my parents trying their best.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so how did you I say, develop such a strong inner compass? Um, like how did you end up putting that together and developing it through yourself? Was it just through like analyzing the world and figuring stuff out? Was it like, how did you kind of go about developing that?
1: I mean, that's a really good question that I don't really have a, a large, uh, answer to other than I've just always kind of have known what I thought was right or wrong in, in most situations. And that's just kind of been intrinsic for me for as long as I can remember. And that just like doing research that does seem to be like a, uh, a component of people, uh, of people with autism and autistic Mm -hmm. people, they have a very strong sense of Morality and how it relates to them.
0: Yeah. Cool. Cool. And then something else you've been really vocal about. Uh, is it cool if I ask you a couple questions about uh depression and, and dealing with
1: that? Sure. Yeah. No, so... it's not. Never.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you posted about it enough on, online that I figured Yeah, exactly. Like. I don't, I don't yeah. give a fuck. Yeah. Well, how is that? This is going to be a very broad question. So feel free to take it Oh, in boy. You'd like <laughs> ask me to be more specific. But, um, how does depression show up for you and, and how is that, you know, impact and affected your life?
1: How does it show up for me? Um, I mean, that, that's a good question for me, I guess, uh, trying to figure out cause it's, it's very multifaceted, but it's also very, it's like one of those things, right? It mostly shows up for me as overwhelming, overwhelming thoughts of wanting to kill myself and just a deep sadness and not understanding where it comes from, right? There usually is a reason behind anything that you feel. And if I can't figure that out, then that's usually an indication that it's a depressive episode.
0: Hey, thank you for sharing that. And I, I think that that's something I'd love to, um, dig into a little bit more, because one of the things that I have learned from honestly, you and John sharing about it, uh, so vulnerably has been, that aspect right the aspect of like out of nowhere this kind of like just dark really dark cloud can just hit you it's not necessarily coming from a a place or a specific event or anything like that just it's all of a sudden this this cloud kind of takes you on and my experience of it from the outside looking in is like it can be really, really frustrating for you as somebody who maybe struggles with depression because people can be like, oh, like, well, just do this or change this thing or change that thing or go exercise or um, have you looked at this? And there can be a lot of like, let's misunderstanding of that or trying to use some sort of personal growth tool to fix it versus being able to say, hey, like this is an actual thing that this person deals with in the same way that you might deal with a, uh, I don't know, like a, a pig leg or, or something or you have some sort of physical uh, malady in the same
1: way. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. And like a lot of the things that people suggest on how to deal with what they would see as depression are really good ways to deal with not being sad anymore. And that's not the same thing, right? It's not like I'm sad. It's that I have an overwhelming despair. And the only way that I can think of to get rid of it is to end my life. Mm -hmm it's not like, it's not being sad. Like sad is easy. And it's, it, there's a, there's an easy link on what, uh, to the reason that you're, you're experiencing sadness. And it's, it's, it's either going to go away or it's fixable, right? It's, it's, it's not the same as depression in which, yeah, can, there can be an inciting event for it. And it can also just be like, Hey, today it's Wednesday. Therefore uh, this week, you're going to be depressed. I'm like, cool. Thanks bro. <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 not super clear in when it's going to happen mm-hmm. all the time yeah. what are some of the things
0: um or maybe one thing in particular that you wish people who don't struggle with depression understood uh, about it
1: I wish people understood that it's not something that is that we want to be fixed in the moment. Like uh, people that are depressed in general, from my experience, just talking to those people, they know that they are in depression and what they're not looking for is how to fix the thing because we know that it can't be fixed. It just needs to be kind of tolerated until it's gone. And the best way to do that is generally proximity support without trying to cheer somebody up because that often is seen as a dismissal and not as helpful. Okay. When you say proximity support, you mean somebody physically being there with you. Yep. And just not really like you can talk, be more than happy to talk about the depression, but not like, Hey, let's go cheer you up. Hey, you want to go out and do this thing? You want to go out and do the fuck? No, I don't want to go do this thing. I can't. because I'm going to be out there. And the only thing I can think of is like, Oh, I wonder how I can like run into the this oncoming car instead of doing this mm-hmm. thing. I'm like, that's not. No, thanks.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What and you just mentioned, like somebody being basically sitting there with you. But is there anything else that like, I don't say like a friend of somebody who's depressed or a, a lover or that kind of thing? Somebody who, if we have somebody depressed in our life that any tips or tools for them on how they can better show up for their, their friends?
1: Yeah, just understanding like what you're trying to do when you show up for for this person during this thing. Often in my experience, it's people are trying to show up for the person who is depressed so that they can move them through that episode as quickly as possible so they don't have to experience that that person's depression with themselves as well. Uh, they want to fix the problem so that everybody is like happy again, not because they want the person. Uh, they want to help, uh, or, or comfort or be with the person who is ex- currently experiencing depression and that's not very helpful. <laughs> and it, it, and often people think that like, yeah, I'm just trying to help you through it. Like, no, what you're trying to do is help yourself through it. So you now don't have to be in this shitty experience anymore. And that makes it way worse. Just so much, mm-hmm. so much worse yeah, just understand it's not something that needs to be fixed or solved or, or anything. It's just something that needs to be acknowledged and you can talk about it and kind of like, just kind of help uh, get language around expressing it. Um, and that's it. That's usually the most that you can do.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. One of the things that I found uh, that I remember correctly about you, you talking about Amber and one of the ways that she supports you really well is she will, you know, like you said, kind of hold space for you and be able to be with you in what you're on, but she'll also communicate, um, you know, if she doesn't have the capacity to uh, in that moment, right? And being able to <clears> be like, hey, she's in an awareness of her own self to be able to be like, hey, I actually, I'm not going to be able to show up for you effectively in this moment rather than trying to kind of put on a face or force herself to to do it when it's not working for her.
1: Yeah, again, and that's something that we've had to work on and figure out because often she was trying to fix the thing because of her, like, and, and I don't want to speak for her or kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't want to speak for her at all. But often when I was experienced, uh, experiencing depression, it was also the specific trigger for her for a lot of her past stuff. So she wanted this experience to move through as quickly as possible and not to actually be helpful in in a way that I needed, but she wanted to be helpful in the way that she needed. Right. And like, that's something that we had to learn and kind of deal with. Um, And then once we got there, it's been so, so much better. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Two sort of booking questions with that is one, are there any signs um or maybe if you want to give just kind of a description like how do you can you tell when you're starting to go in towards a depressive episode or is it suddenly you're sometimes
1: like like, oh fuck yeah sometimes but it's like it's not something that it's like oh here are these three things that i often do when this thing happens it's like oh it's weird that i'm feeling this way all of a sudden Uh, Mm -hmm. and then I'll just kind of like sit with that. And it's like, Oh yeah, this is a thing. Or maybe it's not like, maybe I'm just fucking tired, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's often hard to tell, but the more that I kind of sit with the depression and kind of like sit in it and not try to escape it or fix it. The more awareness that I'm able to get around it and the, Mm -hmm. the earlier I'm able to kind of um, detect when it's going to come and often, and sometimes like the more awareness that I have with it, the more I'm able to express the things and uh, put names on things, the quicker it, it can go to. Yeah. And, and then sort of what the,
0: the opposite end, when you are starting to come out of it, like how does Say, like, for lack of a better question, like, how does that uh, feel, or what is the experience of like coming out of depression like? Is it suddenly you're kind of like, oh, it's been a while, and I haven't been depressed, and you just kind of realize that, or is it you can kind of feel no, it like no. opening
1: up? How, how would you feel if at one moment all of your thoughts are occupied on how you could end your life, and then all of a sudden that no longer exists? <laughs> it's probably, yeah. it feels pretty good, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, right. So, so it is kind of like an almost all of a sudden thing in that way
1: uh, yeah there's like a like a tiny bit of like a a ramp down uh from that but mm-hmm. it's 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 all it's sometimes it's not sometimes it's just like oh i'm i'm done with this now that's nice
0: yeah cool cool thanks for thanks for sharing that i think that's of course
1: and it's very easy thought. for me to talk about <laughs> for whatever reason
0: <laughs> yeah well i mean it's it's good and helpful i feel that like there's not really a lot of um you no know, often a lot of good conversation around those kinds of things and i think um particularly if somebody's you know kind of been involved in various aspects with like the mental health or not the mental health world but the the personal growth space it's a lot of those conditions get issued in a way that are, are not helpful uh, or supportive what for a mean? lot of people like a lot of people i would say like oh it's like you have depression well you're not actually depressed you actually just have this thing or you just need to do this or you need to use this trick or you need to x y or z or like you just have this belief system about it versus being like
1: hey like you oh yeah yeah it's you have this narrative in your head and like yeah the narrative in, in my head is i want to kill myself <laughs> that's that's yeah. actually the full narrative so like i'm not sure what you're trying to get out of me from here but uh, yeah i would just like not to have that narrative anymore yeah absolutely yeah 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 Again, that that's a that's a being sad versus being depressed kind of discussion. Right. Um and it's easy for people who have never experienced it to say those things because they don't have any idea what it's like. I mean like I can't describe like you just don't if you've never had it, you just don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Like and just Yeah. It's not something that you can even like describe to somebody. Yeah.
0: Um and then I guess that leads me into uh this next part was one of the ways that you at least expressed to me that you had dealt with, uh, your depression was you did, I believe 30 grams of mushrooms, uh, in a,
1: a I single think it was gram. somewhere between 25 and 30.
0: What? So that is by far the most amount of mushrooms I've ever heard anybody do, uh, <laughs> at least once, uh, in one session.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. How did you even get to that like moment? What was that experience like?
1: I mean, the, the getting to the moment was basically John asking me, Hey, you want to go do this thing? And me saying, yeah, (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was, I was in a very long uh, like battle with depression at that point. And I knew that I needed to do something to fix it. And nothing that I was like doing was like helping or working or or anything. So I just needed something. And like um, when that opportunity arose, I I jumped on it. Um, And as far as why so many, like during the ceremony they kept offering me more so i kept eating more cuz like the the thing with mushrooms as far as i i can as understand about ceremonies like that it's the the more you take the the deeper into the thing that you go and i wanted to go as deep as possible for that setting so i can try to like relieve some of the just constant pain and sadness that i was feeling mm-hmm.
0: And just a disclaimer for anybody out there, we do not necessarily recommend that you go and do uh, 30 grams of mushrooms. Um, Chris was definitely with a,
1: not by yourself. <laughs> yeah,
0: Chris was definitely with a guide and um, under some good supervision and that kind of thing. So yeah. be, be careful. Um, yeah. I mean, is there anything else that you want to share from from that experience and what that was like? I mean, did you have kind of just the world disappear and then come back up or like, were you just revisiting old experiences? Like, what was that uh, experience like for you?
1: So there's, uh, a lot of different like kinds of mushroom experiences when you can have often the way that's not, like, so, uh, I don't remember a lot about the, my, my highest dose mushroom ceremonies. I don't remember a lot other than feeling a sense of, um, some sort of relief when I, when I was finished with them. I know that, um, the people around me, uh, said that I was, definitely going like uh, going through some, (laughs) some stuff, obviously. that's why, that's why I was there. But as far as any specifics that I took out of it are, are relatively non-existent. And from what I understand, that has a lot to do with just basically however your brain is processing, whatever you're going through. A lot of that is like, you just need to be unconscious to do this kind of work. And that is definitely the, uh, uh, how I felt coming out of those experiences. Yeah.
0: Cool. Any, uh, any tips or advice for somebody who's looking to, I'll say, do some inner work through uh, psychedelics or mushrooms or anything of that nature?
1: Tips. Assuming that you have a place that you can go to go do the thing, make sure that you are going into it with a sense of wanting to Experience what you're going to experience, but I would I would suggest not setting hyper specific intentions around the thing that you're going to do because it's often not up to what you think it is. Like right, you you're thinking about the thing that you think that you want to deal with, and like maybe it's actually has nothing to do with what you're actually dealing with. And as often as my experience is, the mushrooms will show you the thing that you're supposed to be dealing with, and you'll work on that. So. Yeah. Frame it in a way that it's like, I'm going to embrace this experience and whatever it's going to be. And then you're going to have the time that you're supposed to have. I'm not going to say it's going to be good or bad. It's just going to be the time that you're supposed to have. Got it. Cool. Thank you.
0: Um, well, Chris, this has been uh, a really, really awesome conversation. We went a lot of different directions here and I really appreciate your time. Uh, where can people find out more about you? Or, or whatever.
1: if you want to you can find out more about me on uh instagram i am at the chris colson because i'm the only one and that's the primary means of interacting with me as of right now um i also have my website nerds and my podcast with john which hopefully is coming out as you're listening to this yeah <clears throat> cool. uh, and that's my, called the my chemical bro rants podcast. Perfect. awesome well thanks a lot chris it was a pleasure having you Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure and um, I'll talk to you later. later. Thank you so much for
0: listening to this episode of getting to know you. If you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I did in making it for you, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. It would really help the show out. Additionally, if you'd like to stay in touch, consider following me on Instagram at Cam Edward Benton. That's Cam, C-A-M-E-D-W-A-R-D-B-E-N-T-O-N on Instagram and YouTube if you want to follow the show on there as well. Once again, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening, for taking the time, for being curious. It means the absolute world to me, so thank you from the bottom of my heart.